All right, well, we're there in Isaiah 34, and if you look at verse number 1, the, the, Isaiah 34 is actually not that long of a chapter. It's just 17 uh, uh, verses there, and I just kind of want to just give you some highlight and show you some interesting things out of Isaiah 34. I know that the real reason you're here is for the cake and ice cream, so we'll try to get uh, to that as soon as we can, all right? Isaiah 34, I'm just kidding, all right? Isaiah 34, look at verse 1. The Bible says, Come near, ye nations, to hear. I want you to make note of that. He says, Come near, ye nations, to hear and hearken. The word hearken is talking about pay attention. He says, Come, he- come near, ye nations, to hear and hearken, ye people. Let the earth hear and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. Look at verse 2. For the indignation of the Lord is upon, make note of this, all nations. Do you see that? The indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them. He hath delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. Now, Isaiah the prophet is now kind of looking forward and seeing an event that has not happened in his lifetime, it hasn't happened in our lifetime either, and what he is describing is what's commonly known as the Battle of Armageddon. And he's describing this time, if you look at verse 1 again, when the nations, when the earth, when the entire world will uh, be destroyed. And, and look at verse 2, he says, For the indignation of the Lord. That lets us know that this time is, is when God is pouring down His wrath. His, his indignation is upon, notice, all nations and His fury upon all their armies. There's been times in the past when God would fight on behalf of Israel and He would fight armies like Egypt and, and Assyria, different uh, uh, armies. But at this time, He's looking at all the nations and all their armies and He has utterly destroyed them, he had delivered them to the slaughter. So here we see that Isaiah is describing what's known as the Battle of Armageddon. Now there's a lot of misconceptions in regards to the Battle of Armageddon. I want you to keep your finger there in Isaiah 34 and go with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, and look at verse number 11. Revelation chapter number 19 and verse 11, uh, a couple of, uh, not a couple of weeks, Friday night we watched the film Marching to Zion here. And the film had to do with this idea of who are God's chosen people and, the, the, you know, are the Jews God's chosen people today or, you know, has the New Testament church and New Testament believers become God's chosen people and kind of repla- that replacement theology idea. And today there are a lot of people who teach that the Jews are still God's chosen people and that they're going to play. And we're talking about the physical people in Israel right now, you know, in Jerusalem, that they're going to play a role in end times prophecy. And in fact, most believers, because most Christians today are dispensationalists, and I don't have time to go into that, but they, they believe that God deals with, you know, different people in different ways at different times. Some people got saved differently than we get saved today, and all sorts of, it's just all messed up. But a lot of people believe that the, the Battle of Armageddon is a battle where the entire world comes together to fight the nation of Israel. They want to uh, eradicate Jerusalem. That's the belief that is taught. But if you look at Revelation 19, you will notice that that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that all the nations gather themselves to battle in in, in the valley of Megiddo or in the valley of Armageddon to try to annihilate uh, Israel and then God steps in and saves them. If you look at Revelation 19 and verse number 11, 
The Bible says this, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. Now, the one that's coming in the white horse, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the Antichrist also came in a white horse to try to be like the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is the coming of the Lord. Notice what it says. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Revelation 19, look at verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember 1 John 5, 7? For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. So the Bible says there he's clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Revelation 19, look at verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him. That's us. That's you and I coming behind our commander, behind the Lord Jesus Christ. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations. And, and of course, the sword that's coming out of his mouth is his word, the word of God. The Bible says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Can you imagine that? The word of God is so quick and powerful, it can even decide, the, divide, the Bible says, the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So that's the word of God that God comes and Jesus comes to do battle with. Look at verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Imagine, the, just try to get this vision in your, in your mind. Here you have the Lord Jesus Christ coming on a white horse with a vesture dipped in blood, it's, you know, on his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's at this army, you know, uh, of believers behind him. An angel calls the fowls of the air. He calls the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven. And he says, come and gather yourselves together to the supper of the great God. He, the angel says to the birds, he said, hey, we're going to feed all the birds here in a few moments. Notice verse 18. That ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of all them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Now imagine if you were in the Antichrist army. Imagine if you were in the army of all the nations and all the world under one world government, one world religion, getting ready to, to fight, you know, this, this battle of Armageddon. And all of a sudden you see all these vultures just in, in the air. I mean, you got to start thinking to yourself, like, this is probably not going to be good. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, he's calling the, 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 the birds to come eat all the dead bodies. Look at verse 19. And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together. Now remember, we saw in Isaiah 34 that all the nations were gathered together. This is a, a one world, you know, uh, function, one world government going against. But I want you to notice verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against Jerusalem. Is that what it says? To make war against Israel. Is that what it says? The Bible says that they gathered together to make war against him. 
So see, today, the dispensation says, well, the, the, the world's going to come together and try to fight against Israel and try to fight against Jerusalem, and we got to stand with Israel. But the Bible says that the reason that the Battle of Armageddon is fought is because the Antichrist and his armies gathered together not to fight against the Jews, but to fight against Jesus, to fight against the Lord. See, it's always about Christ. It's not about, you know, this physical state called Israel, but they're gathering together to fight against Jesus that sat on the horse and against his army. So today, you know, people say, oh, the Battle of Armageddon, the Russians are going to come, and the, whoever's going to come, the North Koreans or whatever, and they're going to fight against Israel. Look, the world is going to gather together to fight against God. And by the way, that's what the world's been doing all along. Look at verse 20. And the beast was taken. So here's, here's the battle. All of that was just kind of laying out the, 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 the vision of the battle, just kind of letting us see what's happening. The battle actually takes place in two verses, verse 20 and verse 21. And the beast was taken... That's the Antichrist. So imagine you're in battle. You've got your commander, the Antichrist. We're on the other side with our commander, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's how the battle goes. The beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them, that he had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning bristles. So the first thing that happens in this battle is he takes the Antichrist, he takes the false prophet, throws them into the lake of fire. Then verse 21 says, And the remnant, which are all the kingdoms, all the, all, all the armies of the kingdoms of the earth, the nations, all. And then the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So basically, Jesus takes the Antichrist, Jesus takes the false prophet, throws him in prison, and then he, the remnant, he just slains them with the word of his mouth. You and I are going to be there, but we're not going to be doing much fighting. We're just going to be watching, you know. We're actually just going to be the cheerleaders of Jesus Christ. You know, we're just going to be praising his name because it, it's not much of a battle when the nations of the world gather together. But here's, what, here's what's interesting about the whole thing. Not only are they gathering together to fight against Jesus and, and they're fighting him the entire time that he's pouring down his wrath. But go back to Isaiah 34. I just want to show you uh, something real quick before we move on to, to another thing. Isaiah 34, look at verse 1. I want you to notice how consistent God is. Isaiah 34 and verse 1. The Bible says, Come near, ye nations. Now remember, the nations are, are gathering together here to fight against God, against the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, Come near, ye nations. He says, I want you to come close to hear and hearken, ye people. He says, Let the earth hear and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. Now here's what's interesting, all right? Keep your finger there in Isaiah 34. Go with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Some of you already know where I'm going. That's fine. Just look at it. Matthew 28. Look at verse number 19. Matthew 28, verse 19, is where you find what's known as the Great Commission. I know we preached about soul winning this morning, and, you know, you say, well, you, get, you talk a lot about it. There's a lot to talk about, you know, and you, you, we need to get on another subject. It's the only subject. That's what Jesus came to do, to seek and to save that which was lost. I, Matthew 28, 19, that's why we exist. That's why this church exists, because of Matthew 28, 19. But here's what I want you to see, okay? Matthew 28, 19. Notice what Jesus said. He said, go ye therefore and teach, make note of this, all what? Nations, right? Now, in, in Isaiah 34, 1, he said, Come near, ye nations, to hear. So he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Go to Mark. You're there in Matthew. Go to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Here you find another mention of what's known as the Great Commission. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. The Bible says this, Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world. 
Now in Isaiah 34, 1, he said, Let the earth hear, and uh, all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. But in, in Mark 16, 15, he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now why did Jesus tell us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Why did Jesus tell us to go, uh, ye therefore, and teach all nations? Why did he say that? Here's why he said it. So that we could go and teach all nations and preach to the entire world the good news of salvation. The word gospel means good news or good tidings. He wanted us to go out and preach the good news of salvation. But do you know that there's coming a day when God actually says, I'm going to gather the whole world together and I'm going to tell them to come near and I'm going to tell them to come close and I want them to hear and I want them to hearken and I want them to pay attention because I'm about to explain to them not the good news of salvation, but the bad news of damnation. You understand that? You understand there's coming a day when God is basically, I'm done. When God says, I'm just going to destroy them. I'm just going to destroy the earth. I'm just going to rapture my people out of there, and I'm just going to be done with these people. And here's what you understand. We are their last chance. God has put us on this earth to give them the good news so that they never have to be in this crowd when God says, hey, come all together. Let me tell you a story. Here's a story. I'm going to destroy all of you. (laughs) I'm going to bring the fowls of the air together to eat your dead bodies in about two verses here. we got to understand this, and I think it would change our perspective if we understood we must live our lives understanding the judgment of God and the fact that judgment is coming. The fact that this world will not just continue as it is. The fact today people want to mock and say, oh, well, where's the signs of his coming? Is he even coming back? I'm here to tell you there is coming a day when this world will be judged, when Jesus Christ will come back, not as a lamb, but as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it is our job to go to that same world and try to give them the good news before they get the bad news. And try to teach them about salvation before they must learn of damnation. And even for those that don't live through the time of, you know, the, the outpouring of God's wrath. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So go, go back to Isaiah 34 and look at verse number 4. Isaiah 34 and verse 4. There's just another interesting thing in this chapter. And like I said, I don't want to be very long tonight uh, so we can have a good time of fellowship after the service. Isaiah 34 and verse 4. You find, you find an interesting phrase here. Isaiah 34 and verse 4. The Bible says this, And all the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. I want you to make note of that phrase. The heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. Now, the Isaiah is prophesying about all these things. And you've got to understand, when you're studying the book of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they're often, they're, they're not really giving us um, these prophecies in chronological order. What I mean by that is at the time of Isaiah, the Lord Jesus Christ had not came the first time yet. Sometimes we'll we'll get to some chapters where it's describing the first coming or the first advent of Christ. And sometimes it describes the second advent. Sometimes it describes the battle of Armageddon. Sometimes you've got to understand when you're studying scripture, the closer you get to the end of the Bible, you want to use those books to try to shed light on the ones further down. Do you understand what I just said? Here's what that means. You, you, You take the book of Revelation and let the book of Revelation explain the book of Daniel. You understand that? You take Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21. Let that explain, you know, Isaiah and Ezekiel. We we get mixed up when we try to come to Isaiah and make it fit Revelation. No, the purpose of the book of Revelation, the Bible says the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto us, you know, the purpose is to reveal the truth and to cast light on it. Now, here's what's interesting. That phrase, the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, is actually quoted in the New Testament in the book of Revelation. So when the Bible quotes, 
quotes something from the Old Testament, the New Testament, it, gi- it gives us light into what it's referring to or what it's talking about. Go to Revelation chapter number 6. You were just there in Revelation 19, so it should be fairly easy to find. Last book in the New Testament, Revelation chapter number 6. In Revelation chapter 6, you find a chronology of the end times. And I'm not going to take the time to, to go through it, or uh, maybe we will. We'll go through it quickly, but I, I just want you to see the context. Revelation chapter number 6, God was kind enough to give us a chronology by, especially in Revelation 6 and in other chapters in Revelation, he did it different ways with vials and trumpets and all those things. But in Revelation chapter 6, he's describing for us the time of persecution that is to come in that time, and he's describing it to us using seals. He tells us one seal is open and then something happens. One seal is open and something happens. Are you there in Revelation chapter 6? Look at verse 1. Let's just look at it real quickly. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. You got that first seal, Revelation chapter 6. Um, this is really in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6 is when you start dealing with end times. Up to this point, it's all been kind of introduction, seven letters to seven churches in Asia. We got a, a view of the throne of heaven in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 6 is when end times prophecy stuff begins. And it starts with verse 1, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts, saying, Come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse. Now this is not Jesus. That's not Revelation 19 white horse. This is an imposter. Uh, behold, I saw a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. All right? So that's, that's the Antichrist. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, look at verse, or chapter 6, look at verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, so you got your second seal here, and I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him, that he sat thereon to take peace from the earth. So he's taking peace from the earth, that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. So seal number one, we have the Antichrist. Seal number two, we have war. Or, you know, Jesus called it wars and rumors of wars in his Olivet Discourse. Look at Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 5. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard the voice of the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and wine. So here you got uh, the seal number three open, and you've got, they've got balances, and they're weighing uh, food, and it's, it's it's an expensive amount of money for the amount of food that they're getting. So what does that show? It shows us famines, just like Jesus taught that there would come famines. Look at verse 7. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I look and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and, fo- and hell followed him, and power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. So here you see just, just massive, you know, just death, great amount of death. And Jesus referred to it as, a, as the fact that pestilence and earthquakes and, you know, diseases and all these things would come. Here you just have people, uh, uh, you know, they're given power over the fourth part of the earth to just kill people. Look at, uh, and these are, these are uh, the, 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 the seals being, being opened. Look at verse 9, seal number 5. Seal number 5 says this in verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain. Why were they slain? For the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So here, as soon as seal number 5 is open, the Bible says, because you've got to understand, Revelation chapter 6 is giving us a heavenly view. 
Okay, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, when Jesus has given us the Olivet Discourse, he's telling us what's happening in end times prophecy, but it's from an earthly view. He's basically telling us what you and I would see, you know, here on earth. But in Revelation chapter 6, we're kind of seeing it from heaven's view and where we're seeing these seals be opened and all these things. So in verse 9, all of a sudden, when the fifth seal is open, the altar, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So all of a sudden, a whole bunch of believers are in heaven. You know, so what's going on? Well, great persecution. And it's what the Bible refers to uh, in that Olivet Discourse as the great tribulation, a time of trouble, a time when the Antichrist and his one-world government is basically trying to kill all the Christians by making them take a mark of the beast. Look at verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, does thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest for yet for a little season until the fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So, so you got seal number five. What happens? Great persecution follows the exact same chronology that Jesus teaches in his Olivet Discourse teaching. Look at verse number 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal. So here you got the sixth seal. And lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is taken of a mighty wind. Verse 14. And the heaven departed as a scroll. Do you see that? Now that's a quote from Isaiah 34. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Follow us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So here we are told that when seal number six is open, the sun uh, the, uh, became black as sackcloth of hair, the moon became as blood, the stars of heaven fell on the earth, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. Now our dispensationalist friends and our pre-tribulation position friends want to tell us that this all that this is not you know the rapture. This is not the second you know this is the second coming of Christ. But they separate it. They believe in what's called a secret rapture, where basically one day we're just going to all disappear. And no one's going to know, you know, uh, what happened, you know. And some of you are going to show up to church on Sunday night and be like, where did everybody go? You know, and you're going to say, oh, I wasn't saved because I didn't repent of my sins or whatever. You know, and they, they teach this idea that we're just going to disappear and no one's really going to know. And there's going to be this tribulation period of seven years and everyone's going to be confused and say, like, was it aliens? You know, was it Kurt Cameron? You know, it's just going to be all blaming different people. But, but here's what you got to understand, okay? The Bible says that the heavens departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. Now, here's the question. When does the rapture happen in this chronological event? Now, so far as we've been looking at Revelation chapter 6, has it been pretty chronological? I mean, it's like seal number 1 is open, and something happened. Seal number 2 is open, seal number 3. I don't really see how you can get any more chronological than that. I mean, it's just like step 1, step 2, step 3, step 4, step 5, step 6. And and we're not going to compare it tonight, but you compare it to the Olivet Discourse, and it's just, you know, the exact same steps, right after the other, right after the other. Now, here's what's interesting. At the end of Revelation chapter 6, you have that, uh, six, uh, that fifth seal open. Good night. What am I saying? The, where am I? Revelation chapter 6. You have that seal open, and you have you know, the, the, the heavens depart and are rolled into, into a, together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Now, here's what I want you to see. Look at Revelation chapter 7. All right, Revelation chapter 7, 
is obviously in chronological order to Revelation chapter 6. And you've got to understand this about the Bible. The Bible was not originally written in uh, chapter divisions and verse forms. And I'm thankful for that. I'm, gl- I'm glad they're there. It helps us to be able to study the Bible better. But originally, you know, John did not say, now chapter 7 begins. John was just writing. All right. So when he wrote verse 17, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall he be able to stand? And after these things, does that sound like it's in chronological order? He says, and after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, and the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Okay, so just think with me for a second. Has God began to hurt the earth at this point? The answer is no. Because he's telling the angels, he says, hey, before you hurt the earth, let me seal the servants of God. Verse 4, and I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed in 140 and 4,000. Those are not Jehovah's Witnesses. Of all the tribes, the children of Israel, of the tribes of Judah were sealed 12,000. I'm not going to go through the list. He, he basically goes and tells us 12,000, you know, 12,000 of all the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, skip down to verse number 9. So he seals them. Why does he seal the 144,000? Because he doesn't want them to get hurt because he's about ready to begin to hurt the earth. So in Revelation chapter 6, has God hurt the earth at all? No. All of those things have been man-made. All those things have just been war and persecution and even the famines and the pestilences. It's just man messing with nature and doing all their chemtrails and all their crazy things they're trying to control. I mean, even today, people are trying to control the weather, you know. So, I mean, everything's man-made up to this point. God is about ready to destroy the earth. He says, let me seal the 144,000 so that they don't get hurt. And by the way, the 144,000 stay on earth. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses say, the 144,000 go to heaven, we stay on earth. That's the exact opposite. The 144,000 stay on earth, and we go to heaven. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, I'm sorry. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders and four beasts, and fell before the throne in their faces, and worshipped God. Now remember, we're looking at end times events from a heavenly view. We're in the throne of God, and all of a sudden, in Revelation chapter 7 and in verse 9, the Bible says, And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, and kindreds, and people, and and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. When a great multitude that no one can count of all nations and kindreds and tongues appears in the throne room of heaven, what do we call that? The rapture. And, and, and by the way, if that's not the rapture, then there is no rapture in the book of Revelation. I mean, and, and you know, it's, it, it, you know, the, the pre-tribulation dispensationalists want to say, well, that's not the rapture. It, you know, God wrote us a book about anti-Israel and just forgot to mention the number one event. You know, like the number one, you know, most important part, the rapture. If that's not the rapture, then it's not in the book of Revelation. So we know that that is the rapture because that's when all believers are gathered together in heaven. Now, here's what I want you to understand, okay? When the, go, go back to Revelation chapter 6, look at verse, um, verse 15. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich... I'm sorry, not verse 15, verse 14. And the heavens departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Now, when does that happen? According to the book of Revelation. Before or after the rapture? It happens before, okay? Because the rapture happens in chapter 7. 
and the, the, the heavens are rolled together as a scroll in Revelation chapter 6. Here's what you understand. That proves to you, because here's what the dispensationalist says. No, that's later after the rapture, because the rapture is a secret thing. Nobody sees it. You know, nobody knows it. But later, Jesus comes back in all his power and all his glory. But that proves to you, because remember, we've opened that last seal, and all of these things are happening. The end of chapter 6, chapter 7. It proves to you it's all just one event. When Jesus comes back, there is no secret rapture. The Bible says that God is going to literally take the heavens and roll it back like a scroll. And every eye shall see him. And every eye will behold him. And he will come down. And, there, and that's why, by the way, the armies are not just like, let's fight against Israel. They see the one that's been pouring out his wrath on them. And they want to fight him. And they want to kill him. And he's going to come down and battle, make battle with them at the battle of Armageddon. Now, here's what you got to understand, okay? Keep, keep your finger there in Revelation chapter 6. And you keep a finger in Isaiah 34. And go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And grab a hymn book. <laughs> okay? I know, it's a little confusing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you find 1, 2 Timothy, you know, all those T books, Titus, 1, 2 Thessalonians, they're all together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse number 16, the Bible says this. This is the most, you know, no one will argue with you that this is the rapture. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I had some pastor of this large church call me, and he was arguing with me about the tribulation period and all these things. And here's what he said to me. Here was his argument. The post-tribulation position is a new position. It is not the historical position of Christianity. He said, Christians through the years have just believed the pre-tribulation position. I want to prove to you how that is completely and utterly false. Did you grab a hymn book? You thought I was joking, right? Grab a hymn book, all right? Go to page number uh, 145. What, what is that? 145, it is well. What happened to my hymn book? Brother Clint took it? Oh, sorry, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. 145. 145. And look, look at... I want, you to, I want you to look at this song. It is all my, my favorite song in the hymn book. I love this song. And I want you to notice stanza number four, okay? And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. Make note of that. He's talking about when we're going to see our faith, what we've believed in, right? The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. Does that sound familiar? The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. I love that song. Now, here's what I want you to see, okay? Isaiah 34 and verse 4 says this. The heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. Isaiah 6 and verse 14 says this. The heavens departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. It is well with my soul, verse 4 says this. The, um, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. So it's pretty obvious that he's quoting Isaiah 34. The writer of the song, It is well with my soul, is quoting Isaiah 34 and verse 4 and Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 14. Are you, are you still with me? Now here's what I want you to see. He's also quoting another part of the scripture. Are you in 1 Thessalonians 4? Look at verse 16. Because here's what the writer of It Is Well With My Soul wrote. He said, The trump 
shall resound. Are you looking at 1 Thessalonians 4.16? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. Do you see that? And the Lord shall descend. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Okay, no one disagrees that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, is about the rapture. You know, H.P. Spafford, who wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul, understood that he was quoting 1 Thessalonians 4.16 as the rapture, and he also quoted Isaiah 34 and verse 4, and Revelation chapter 6 and verse 15, equating it to the scrolls being rolled back. So let me ask you this. Do you think that this man, who obviously knew a lot of Scripture to be adding quotes from all over the Bible into his song, do you think that he might have thought that this was the same event? Now here's what's interesting. It Is Well With My Soul was published in 1876. Well, Pastor Jimenez, you guys are a bunch of radicals. Don't you understand that the Christian position has always been a pre-tribulation rapture? Well, it wasn't for this guy. Over a hundred years ago. I mean, the historic Christian position has not been the pre-tribulation. That's a new doctrine that has came out, you know, with, uh, you know, Nicolas Cage or whatever. I don't know. You know. And by the way, this is why we sing these old hymns. I mean, you sing these songs, you don't even know that you're quoting scripture. You're saying they're just full of doctrine. And people say, we, we, we got to bring the contemporary. You can keep your, you know, my God is an awesome God 27 times. You know, these songs are filled with doctrine. But even, but they just prove, uh, you know, we just systematically prove that in 1876, a man wrote a song where he talked about end times events and he equated the fact that the trump will sound and the Lord will descend. And when that happens, my, I'll be able to see with my eyes, my faith shall be sight when I see it. So did he believe in a secret rapture? The answer is no. And, that, and I'm, again, I'm just trying to show you an example that the historic position has not been a pre-tribulation rapture. Christians throughout the years have believed that when Jesus returns, the world will know it. The world will see it. No one will be wondering, thinking, what happened? Did aliens take him? Did the Russians do it? They're, no one's going to be thinking those things. They're going to know exactly uh, what's going on. All right, go back to Isaiah 34. And look at verse 5. And by the way, that's just an awesome song. I love that song. Isaiah 34, look at verse 5. Isaiah 34 and verse 5. Let me show you a couple more things because the ice cream's getting cold. But look at Isaiah 34 and verse 5. The Bible says, for my, my wife says, no, nobody gets your jokes. I'm like, well, I'll just try. Isaiah 34, she doesn't say that. I'm just kidding. Isaiah 34, verse 5. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Edomia and upon the people of my curse to judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made fat with the fatness and with the blood of the lambs and goats and the fat of the kidneys of ram. For the Lord hath a sacrifice in Basra. Make note of that phrase. Sacrifice in Basra. And a great slaughter in the land of Edomia. Now, what Isaiah starts to do here is he starts to kind of just uh, use uh, uh, an illustration because the, the children of Israel were very familiar with this idea in the Old Testament that they would bring sacrifices to God. And he begins to talk about this battle of Armageddon and the, and, and the pouring out of God's wrath as a sacrifice. Now, it's not a literal sacrifice. And, and here's why. Because there, he's talking about sacrificing animals that the children of Israel did not sacrifice. Look at verse 7. And the unicorns shall come down with them. Okay? Uh, they didn't sacrifice unicorns in the Old Testament. If you want to mock the Bible for, for you know, mentioning unicorns, okay, it's not that absurd that there was an animal with a horn on its head. 
I mean, like, like, because none of us have ever seen that, right? We've never seen an animal. I've never seen an animal where the hornet's head. So the Bible must just be full of fairy tales. Your science books are full of fairy tales. But look at verse 7. And the unicorn shall come down with them, and the bullock with the bulls, and their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust made fat with fatness. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, and the year of recompense for the controversy of Zion. And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become a burning pitch. Have you ever thought about this, that God, when he comes down, when Jesus comes down to the earth, he will require a burnt sacrifice for all the sins of the world. And it'll happen at the Battle of Armageddon. When all these nations are joined together and all these armies are joined together, he's basically just going to offer them up as a burnt sacrifice unto himself. It's kind of an interesting thought. Look at verse 11. But the cormorant and the bittern shall possess it, the owls also and the raven shall dwell in it. He shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. They shall call the nobles thereof to the kingdom, but none shall be there, and all her princes shall be nothing. The thorn shall come up in her palaces, nettles and brambles in the fortresses thereof, and it shall be an habitation of dragons and of court for owls. And the Bible's just telling us there that basically so many people are going to die during the tribulation period. So many people are going to die during the pouring out of God's wrath. So many people are going to die at the battle of Armageddon. Not everyone will die, but so many people are going to die that the world is really going to just be an empty place. I mean, the, the population is going to really go down as we enter into the millennial reign. Look at verse 14. And the wild beasts of the earth shall also meet with the wild beasts of the island, and the satyr shall cry to his fellow. The screech owl also shall rest there and find for herself a, pal, a, a place of rest. There shall the great owl make her nest and lay and hatch and gather under her shadow. There shall the vultures also be gathered, every one with her mate. Now look at verse 16, and here's what it all comes down to. Say, well, why are there so many people messed up with, with all these dispensational beliefs and pre-tribulation beliefs and repent of your sins and all these crazy things? Why, 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 are they all, why is so many false doctrine out there? Why do so many people just don't understand the Bible? It all comes down to one thing. Look at verse 16. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. See, the problem is people just don't... The, Hosea said, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. It's what we were talking about this morning. You need to get to the place where, yeah, you come to church and you study God's Word with us together, but then you go home and Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and Thursday morning and Friday morning and Saturday morning and Sunday morning, on your own, you seek out of the book of the Lord and read. Say, well, why would I read? You know, because sometimes we, we struggle. You know, I, have you ever been there? Let me just go ahead and confess my faults one to another, right? You know, well, faults aren't sin, but, you know. You ever been where you're like reading a book you're really interested in? And you kind of want to read the book, but you know you haven't really read your Bible. And you kind of just read a couple obligatory chapters just to soothe your conscience because you really want to read, you know, whatever it is that, you know, for, for those of you that don't, you know, you really want to go on Facebook or watch TV, whatever you do, you know. But here's why it's better to read the Word of God than any magazine, than any book, than any newspaper, than any post, than any blog. Here's why it's better. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. None, no one of these shall fail. Here's what he was saying. He was saying, Isaiah was saying, everything the Bible says is going to happen will happen. The battle of Armageddon, is it going to happen? It is going to happen. Are the heavens going to be rolled together as a curl? It will happen. Will God come down and judge the earth? He said, everything you read in the Bible, it's going to happen. He says, no one of these shall fail. None shall want her mate. For my mouth it hath commanded, and his spirit it hath gathered them. 
Isaiah 40 and verse 8. Go with me. Go, go, go quickly to Isaiah 48. You're, you're there in Isaiah 34, verse 17. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. Here's what you're going to understand. The kingdoms of this world will be destroyed. The nations of this world will be destroyed. The, the, the superstar, your little sports team you're so interested in, your little golfers you're so interested in, or whatever, you know, your bowling league and all these things. Here's what you're going to understand. They will fail. Isaiah 40 and verse 8 says this. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And we're so interested in this actor and this movie and that guy and this person and this and that. We ought to be interested in the one thing that's going to last for eternity. And that's the word of God. The Bible says heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So as Christians, let's get back to a revolution to the word of God. Say, so, well, I'm so interested in all these other things and we got all these political issues. Forget about the political issues. Say, so, well, Obama... He's, he's going to last four years and he'll perish. And the next Bush and the next Clinton, the next whoever, it doesn't matter. But here's what matters, the word of God. Here's what matters, preaching the gospel. Here's what matters, things that will last longer than this earth. Because everything the Bible says will happen, will happen. And Isaiah's just trying to tell the people. He's saying, hey, gather together. Let me tell you a story. Everything you value, everything you think is important, all your little palaces and your houses and your cars and your 401k, all of that's going to get destroyed one day. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read, no one of these shall fail. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.